Welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, November 11th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Jam-packed wall-to-wall high atop downtown Nashville. An unusually, nay, suspiciously crowded control room just beyond this wall here. Finally, actual people in the building. Aside from just Director Colin and I. And I'm not speaking ill of Colin. I'm just saying, boy, it gets lonely around here. So, hey, if you see an extra fancy graphic or two tonight, it's because our friend Miranda came in and dropped kick the control board until we could get the sliders to work again. So we're very excited to have a jam-packed show and very excited to, uh, you know, actually have personnel in the building. Uh, look, just when you guys think you have this playoff picture figured out, college football will go and it will change the game on you. And so I want you to be very careful as you wade your way into these second weekends and third weekends of November. I know it looks like it's close. I know it looks like conference championships just around the corner. Look, take it from a guy who drove a 12-seater van across Texas. Don't ever just unsuspiciously walk around any corners. You never know what's waiting around the corner. And I want to talk about a few of those games tonight. So we're going to do some predictions that we didn't get to the other night about some Week 11 games. I didn't even get to Georgia-Tennessee yet. I didn't even get to Purdue-Ohio State, Michigan-Penn State. I mean, there's a lot of potential very treacherous hurdles out there. And in that vein, we're also going to talk about some playoff disaster scenarios is what we're going to call them tonight. I've got, I think, three, maybe even four of them. Uh, one of them is just holistic, like the entire Big Ten, or holistically the entire Big 12. I mean, there's some, there's some really messy situations that we could get ourselves in. Also, the coaching carousel we have not touched on in about a week, week and a half. I like to let that breathe, but it is time to sort of re-up the intel and whispers and what we're hearing. LSU obviously open, USC open, but TCU open for the time being. And as you know, a couple of those that I mentioned are true keystone programs in that when they make moves, it's not over. That's the beginning of this massive ripple effect chain reaction throughout the sport. And you may sit there and laugh that someone's coach got taken and then, uh-oh, that program came and took your coach or your coordinator. So yeah. It stands to reason a lot of you should be interested in that. Ramen Noodle Express adding two more best bets tonight. Some of you thought that I forgot to put the Ramen Noodle Express in last week's show or, or Tuesday night's show. And to those of you who think that, I'm going to tell you, yeah, I forgot the other night. So I'm not going to forget tonight. If I do, they are going to yell at me physically through this wall, yell at me. So we will uh, remember that. And I'm going to add two more. We're going to have eight before we go off the air tonight. And we're already 1-0 on the week. Maction, those Mac games have been very good to us. Remember, be sure you're following, because I already put two of them out on Twitter today. If you're not following, I'm not saying you're gonna miss them. We're gonna give them out on the show. I'm just saying you may miss a line movement. At Late Kick Josh, Twitter, at Late Kick Josh, Instagram. I figure that Instagram story is gonna be pretty lit up this weekend, because I'm about to head to uh, Texas tomorrow morning. Earlier flight than normal. They're making sure they got a car for me out there this weekend. I'm not having a, a repeat of last week's debacle. So let's dive in here before I get to predictions for the weekend on games that we haven't touched on already. I wanted to talk tonight for a couple of minutes about some disaster playoff scenarios. I'm not talking about, oh, what's, what's the committee going to do with Cincinnati? Oh, what happens if Georgia loses the SEC title game? That stuff is fairly easy to figure out in comparison to some of the things that could happen. So let's walk through some of these together because I want you to think along with me because I think our minds may go down different paths depending on how you're guessing a playoff committee is going to handle some of this. The first one, which I think is by far the most intriguing, is the potential for what we're calling the Big Ten bumper car scenario to play itself out. And the reason that that could be in play is because right now, you've got a lot of teams that are in the mix. Ohio State's up there, Michigan's up there, Michigan State's up there, but 
they've all still got to largely play each other. For example, the games I'm about to list, even though we've only got three weeks left in the regular season, all still have to happen. You've got, of course, Penn State playing Michigan this Saturday. You've, of course, got uh, Penn State at Michigan State later on this month. You've got Ohio State at Michigan to end the regular season. You've got Purdue playing Ohio State this Saturday. You've got Michigan State going to Ohio State. All those games still have to happen. Now, obviously, if Ohio State decides to win them all, they're in. If Michigan decides to win them all, they're in. If Michigan State, for that matter, decides to win them all, then uh, in all likelihood, they would be in, although they wouldn't totally control that. They'd still need, uh, I guess they would totally control that, yeah, because they got the head-to-head there over Michigan. My point is, there's one factor that you got to keep in mind here. Whereas Michigan already has a loss, it is a conference loss. And Michigan State already has a loss, yes, it is a conference loss. The Buckeyes, they got a loss too, but it's not in conference. So they are still unblemished when it comes to conference play. Their only loss is to Oregon early in the year out of conference. And so Ohio State, theoretically, this is where the bumper cars start to really, really get put in motion. Ohio State, in theory, could lose, let's say, to Purdue Saturday, or, or let's do a head-to-head. They could lose to Michigan State in a couple of weeks. And yet still, if Michigan State were to lose one more game, Ohio State, as a two-loss team, is in your Big Ten championship game. So you could have a two-loss Buckeye team. This is not out of the realm of possibility by any stretch, guys. You could have a two-loss Big Ten champion there in Ohio State, and then you have to ask yourself, no longer is the Big Ten champ guaranteed to be in, that's when you start to have to ask yourself some pretty uncomfortable questions. Like, for example, if there's one spot left and it comes down to undefeated Cincinnati against two loss Ohio State, you also could work yourself into a situation where you've got the Big 12 there. We're going to go over the Big 12 bumper car scenario in just a second. We've also got to ask ourselves, how many spots is the SEC taking up at that point? And so the Big 10 right now, and we have assumed for the whole season, is minimally going to have one spot. It's not an automatic, it's a near certainty, but it's not an automatic because of the utter chaos that could unfold in this last month of the season. And keep in mind, as is the case nationally, maybe outside of Georgia, we are not talking about elite teams here. Even though I know what these point spreads look like, these are not elite teams. Therefore, you insert a little more variance and a little more potential volatility into these equations. The next one I wanna touch on is one I put out on Twitter earlier today Uh, Adam McClintock and Dave Bartu both do really, really good work. I would encourage you to follow each one of those guys on Twitter. We're not affiliated with them, uh, but, you know, hey, we're friends. So that counts for something, right? They do a very good job of crunching the numbers, using the available data that the College Football Playoff Committee goes by, and they can let you know ahead of time. What would happen if this went down? What would happen if that went down? They're also very good at pegging, uh, in in pretty exact order, how the committee is going to release these rankings. So I say that because I teed them up today and I said, let's just pose a scenario. Everyone assumes Georgia's gonna either win the SEC or at the very least be in, and I do too. One of those at least is gonna happen. But I wanted to know, because if Georgia doesn't win the SEC, everyone assumes it's Bama that's gonna take it from them. But what if it was Texas A&M? So let's just say Bama's gonna lose the Iron Bowl and A&M doesn't lose another game. That would send A&M to Atlanta where they would play Georgia in the SEC title game. It would be an upset, I'll grant you that, but if A&M were to just win out and they win the SEC title game, here's what I want to know. Georgia's still in. I mean, unless they drop another game before then, Georgia would be in. 
they have a good enough resume to where they don't even have to win the SEC to be in. What I would like to know is if we had an undefeated Cincinnati out there, conference champ, AAC champ, 13-0, and we had Texas A&M, 11-2, included in those 11 wins, is the SEC championship. Not only have we never had a two-loss team in the playoff before, I think that two-loss team's ticket would be granted, and if there was only one spot left, I think the committee would put Texas A&M with a two-loss resume in over an undefeated Cincinnati. Now that's where I want you inserted into the equation, because I want to know what you think, because I floated that past some people today. I did some radio hits all across the country today, and we were kind of chopping that up back and forth, and what I found funny was no one was on the fence. There were some people who immediately said, oh, Cincy's in. Two losses. Come on, now Cincinnati's in. And then there were people on the other side, and for that matter, Dave Bartu, who got back immediately, I think it's at CFB Matrix on Twitter, got back immediately. He said, well, number one, this is not plausible. I understand that. But we were having fun with it. And it is possible. Maybe not plausible, but possible. And the second thing he said was, but if it happened, this is A&M. I don't have to give you my opinion on it. I'm telling you the fact of the matter, based on the way we know this committee operates, A&M would be in. Now, can you stomach that? I can. Uh, that's where I would go. That's where I would lean. If you take all the critical metrics, you don't have head-to-head, -head, obviously. Since his strength of schedule is going to be in the hundreds, whoa, what just happened to me? Did you guys see that? You're, not, you're listening on podcast. This sounds like weirdness, but I just flew out of the screen for a second. I'm going to go back and use that later. I know someone sausage fingered their way to a mistake in there, but I'm clipping it. I'm using it later. So I'm just leaving that out there because I want to look at the comment section. Probably not going to check it tonight. I want to go there tomorrow morning, give it a good 12 or so hours to sizzle. Undefeated Cincinnati, two-loss SEC champion Texas A&M. If there's only one spot left in the playoff field and you got to choose one, you can't take both, whomst would you put in? Uh, how about the Big 12 bumper car scenario? This is one that looks maybe even more likely than the Big 10, even if you don't think it's as juicy because it doesn't include as many top 10 teams. Remember the games that are still left to play. This is why I intro the show like this tonight. Even though it feels like we're almost through, we're not. These games that I'm about to list still have to happen. Oklahoma at Baylor. That's where we're going to be this Saturday in Waco, one of those beautiful 11 a.m. local time kickoffs. Oh, as I said the other night, find someone. My wish for you guys is that you find someone who loves you as much as I love noon kickoffs on the East Coast. Love them. Can't live without them. Oklahoma plays Baylor Saturday. Oklahoma also has to play Oklahoma State at the end of the year. Baylor goes to Kansas State before the end of the year. Oklahoma State, they got TCU this Saturday, and of course they have Oklahoma. So there's a lot of bumper car round-robin craziness that could happen here, but that's not the extent of it. Because remember, whereas in the Big Ten, they got your division set up to where someone may go play Wisconsin or may go play Iowa and be heavily favored in the Big Ten championship game, that's not the way it works in the Big 12, folks. They take the top two. And so outside of the scheduled games I just read you, we are also highly, highly, highly likely to see a repeat matchup of Oklahoma versus Baylor or, or Oklahoma State versus Oklahoma. These things are all on the table. And so here's what I would love to know. You can obviously paint for yourself several disaster scenarios for the Big 12 where they get left out entirely. Here's what I want to know. Oklahoma's at eight right now, seven or eight, wherever it is. And it's because of their strength of schedule and lack of game control. And I get all that. I'm not even, I'm not here to litigate that. But 
What I do want to know is what if Oklahoma goes undefeated? They win uh, versus Baylor. They win versus Oklahoma State. But, and they got Iowa State coming up too, by the way. I forgot to put that one in there. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice little tidbit to know. Yeah, Iowa State still goes to Oklahoma too. So they got a really good strength of schedule boost coming. I want to know if it is to the point where Oklahoma can afford to lose a game. Not regular season, though. I want to know if they would be punished more for losing a game than going to win the Big 12 or making it undefeated to the Big 12 title game than losing in the Big 12 title game. And again, this is not in a vacuum. You're not just meeting minimum baselines and, okay, you made an 80, so you get a B. That's not the way this works. You are compared to the rest of the field. So depending on how many spots we have, it may still be a moot point. But if, you know, if let's say Bama does win out and they go to Atlanta and they beat Georgia, well, that's two spots taken up already if Georgia doesn't lose again. They're in. If Oregon wins out, they'd be in. You know, Ohio State, if they're winning out, they're probably in. But you see what I'm doing. I'm crowding up that field already before we've even gotten to a one-loss non-Big 12 champion, Oklahoma, whose only loss is in the title game. So don't just assume if they get there undefeated that, yeah, it's a shoe-in. They're in. I, they may be. It's not a shoe-in, though, especially if they don't have that conference championship in their back pocket. And the last one I wanted to touch on, this will trigger every single one of you. It's why I saved it for the end. I call it the Irish outrage scenario. I think you're pretty clear with where I'm going here. Uh, Jesse, you know what? Can you throw up the rankings again? Because I forget where Notre Dame is. I know they're in the top 10 somewhere. You have not mentioned Notre Dame, nor have I, to be fair, in like a month. So Notre Dame right now is sitting down there at number nine. They are, uh, what, an eight and one team. You know who their only loss is to. It is number five Cincinnati at home. And so if, if you want to believe in quality losses, they've got one of those quality losses. They've got, a, I can't remember where the strength of schedule is. It's not in the hundreds, I can tell you that. And they've got very winnable games coming up. So here's what I want to know. I want to know what happens if Notre Dame ends up being in this thing? Clearly, what would have to happen is the bomb goes off and there's just chaos and alarms and screams all over the place. And then you wait a few hours and the dust settles and all of a sudden there's movement over here. And then there's some planks that are pushed to the left and there's a boulder or two pushed to the right and up pops Notre Dame. And they say, we made it. Mark us safe. We survived. We're in the playoff again. Every one of you would lose your mind because you would say, you... No one invited you. You can't sit with us. You go full mean girls on them. You can't sit with us. You cannot sit here. And yet they would say, who else you got? This would admittedly be due to a lack of options out there. But Notre Dame's not out of this. Here's how I think this would go. You would have to have Georgia win out. And I think you would need Bama to lose their second game there. Therefore, you've got one SEC team in there. So you got one SEC team. I think you would also probably need a Big Ten and or Big 12 bumper car scenario to clear a path somehow for you. And I also think it wouldn't hurt at all for Cincinnati to get knocked out. While that would somewhat hamper the quality of your loss, it would also knock Cincinnati out from in front of you and they'd have that head-to-head -head maybe over you if it came time to judge one loss Notre Dame against undefeated Cincy. If those things happen, and I know, granted, it's a little bit of a long shot for all of them to happen. I don't think it's impossible. And I certainly think we have some craziness coming. Notre Dame, let me spoil the ending of the season for you. I've got it on good authority they're going to win the rest of their games. Uh, even though I think they're like a five-point favorite against Virginia Saturday. I've got it on good authority they're going to win their games. However, that source has been wrong before. So if it goes right, credit me. If it goes wrong, credit the source. But 
Notre Dame could still be in this. So I just want to know if we get to a spot where we're struggling to pick four and Notre Dame is over there and they've just, they got their hand up, they got their hand up. Could we see the Irish in again? I'm sure everyone would handle that with class and dignity. So those are some college football playoff disaster scenarios. That is not an exhaustive list. I'll be very interested to see where you guys go with that. And I really want to know where you're at on the whole undefeated Cincy against maybe a two-loss SEC champion in Texas A&M. Because you know what they'd say. What that committee would say is, well, number one, it's the SEC champ. Uh, but number two, they'd start doing this thing. They'd start saying, well, probably someone stroking their chin as they say that. Well, you know, this kid, this Zach Calzada kid, they learned his pronunciation probably 15 minutes before they went on air. This Calzada kid, he was fresh off the bench, and yeah, they lost a couple of games, but now they're a different team. Like, I need the committee telling me when a team was and wasn't themselves. Hey, for that matter, put Wisconsin in now. They're a different team. Uh, but Cincy fans, you know that's how that would go. Cincy backers, you know that's how that would go. So I'm interested to see if and when we get to that point, how they justify it. Do they just say, deal with it, call Stone Cold said so, or do they try and hem-haw their way around? You can't use the old go-to. At that point, you can't say, this will all work itself out. No, you are the person at this point who has to work it out. So bookmark that to be continued. Academy Sports and Outdoors is essential. You need it in your life or your life is not complete. Now, they didn't tell me to say that, but I think they'll be happy that I did say it. I just want you to know it poured in Nashville today, this time of year that normally accompanies a cold front. And yes, that is exactly what came through here. I was looking at the weather forecast for Penn State hosting Michigan. And it's just so gross beyond words. It is disgusting. Jesse, I don't know how you people live with that in Pennsylvania your whole life. That's where producer Jesse grew up. Low 40s, wind, rain. That's the forecast. And so when I was up at State College for the Auburn game a couple of months ago, yeah, there was a lot of academy gear up there, but most of you were wearing short sleeve gear. It was a very, very nice night. Uh, that is not what you have in store, even for a noon kickoff this Saturday. Don't be caught off guard. And you don't even have to go anywhere to gear up. Just go to academy.com. Maybe hard at this point to get it shipped to you, but even for future reference, if you guys need the hookup on tailgate gear, if you need supplies, if you need decor, you know how rarely I use that word. It's not written in the copy either because all I have is Academy written on this sheet. Academy.com is a great supplement if you cannot get yourself physically through the doors of an Academy Sports and Outdoors. Right before I came on air, I had someone at a basketball game in Texas who was sitting behind a couple of folks who were sitting in Academy chairs. And there was a picture taken, and they sent me the picture and said, got two fans of the show sitting in front of me. Now, I cannot promise you that 100% of people who shop at Academy do watch this show. But I can promise you 100% of people who watch this show do know about Academy. And at that point, it's up to you. How much do you really want to be a part of the Late Kick family here? Because I know you got an extra $5 laying around somewhere. And in the words of Michael Scott, you don't need $5. You already have $5 or 10 or 100 you know, if you really, really want to feel fancy about yourself. But Academy.com, when you need to gear up, that is the place to go. One-stop shop for everything. They are the official outdoor sporting goods supplier of the Big 12. That's where I'm going to be this weekend. Of the SEC, that's the footprint I reside in. And Late Kick, that's the show I represent. Thank you so much for Academy being our one ride or die sponsor. Now, 
Oh boy, I'm looking at some rumors that I can't talk about on a sheet in front of me. They're all crossed out. So let's get to the stuff I can talk about, at least in good conscience. The coaching carousel is something I think we could have a better nickname for, but to be honest with you, I haven't come up with anything better. So let's just talk about coaching whispers and intel, shall we? As usual, it's November, so no, we don't have vacancies being filled, but we do have vacancies. If you're listening on podcast right now, as of this moment, the USC job is open, as is LSU, TCU, Washington State, and last but not least, the Akron Zips are looking for a new head coach. And unlike the other jobs I listed, you may actually be in the mix for the Akron job. So freshen up those resumes, kids. Anything is possible. Kevin Garnett. Let's talk about the LSU job. Uh, because some of you, let's just be real, it's just us here, you were made fools of yesterday. You really thought in the year of our Lord, 2021, that Scott Woodward was going to travel to Norman, Oklahoma on a publicly trackable tail number of a plane and interview Lincoln Riley and what, bring him back? Some of you, you know better, you know better. But when you're in love or intoxicated, some of you are both when it comes to this coaching search, your mind and your heart can lead you to believe some crazy things. So no, as far as we know, Lincoln Riley was not picked up on a jet and interviewed yesterday for the LSU job. Who's to say he's not Monday? I don't know. But here's what I do know. Without giving names, what I am being told, I continue to be told this, and I've told you this for like a month now, ever since Orgeron got the official boot. I continue to be told, do not discount anyone. And so then what'll happen when I talk to this person, I'll bounce some names. They'll say, don't discount anyone. And I'll say, okay, what about, and they'll say, don't discount anyone. And so what I'm doing is I'm throwing names that I think are untouchable at him. Not quite Nick Saban, but not far from Nick Saban. And they'll say, do not discount anyone. So what that is speaking to, without giving specifics, that is obviously speaking to the attractive nature of the job, which I think even as highly thought of as it is publicly, goes above and beyond in coaching circles. I think people think even more highly of the LSU job. I told you that same person, as well as someone in the agency world, told me at the outset, even before Orgeron got fired, we think that job's gonna open up, and you need to know it is one of the highest valued football jobs in American football, period. NFL or college, just football, period. So I'm taking that advice, and when I see a very, very truncated list of names, I'm not limiting it there. I'm writing that list in pencil. So you can throw out Matt Rule if you want to, and you can throw out, obviously, you know, like random names like Urban Meyer, uh, but you're going to hear a lot of, obviously, Lincoln Riley is a big-time candidate. Absolutely. If, he, if he'll listen, you talk to him. Mel Tucker is going to be in that thing. Yes. Uh, Jimbo Fisher is a name. I doubt that happens, but that's a name. All those are out there. What I'm telling you, and I continue to tell you as I have for a month and a half, is without giving specific names, because I don't know that there's any skill in that right now, to be clear, there are going to be people out there, both at the college and NFL level, that are actual candidates for this job, whose names you may never hear theoretically until they've already interviewed and are about to put pen to paper. That is how this LSU search could go. I do not think that's how, let's say, the USC search is going to go. Or if the USC search were to go that way, I don't think it would be a bombshell candidate. That's what I'm saying. You could have an LSU bombshell candidate that you haven't even so much as seen floated in a reputable message board thread, which is obviously the lifeblood of coaching searches. 
and all of a sudden, boom, over the span of 24 hours, it happens. That's how the LSU search could go. So unlike the USC search, I've also been told, and this is not breaking news, there is one man making the decision. There is some input, but there's one man, Scott Woodward, obviously making the decision there. I know he's got a really good reputation for hires, but the important thing to note is it's one man making the decision instead of a committee of people who all want to have a little bit of input. And so you got to get 14 different folks to sign off and HR is worried about this and advertising and marketing is worried about this. And then you got some donors over here. No, 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 no. That's just the way to expedite the next coaching search or AD search. Be careful. And so Scott Woodward, this is his hire. It's absolutely his hire. And there is virtually no one off limits right now with the resources they have. Florida does not have a job opening, to be clear. Well, they do when it comes to, let's say, some coordinator positions and offensive line coach. So Todd Grantham being let go as defensive coordinator. Uh, John Hevesy let go as offensive line coach. Quickly unfollowed Dan Mullen on Twitter. I mean, come on now. Let's not get a little firing after 20-some-odd years of working together in the way of a friendship. But when they want to talk, I'll be happy to be the intermediary. I had a question on the Late Kick Extra podcast that I recorded and released this morning. And the question was, do you think Dan Mullen's fate has already been decided one way or the other? And my answer was, no, I don't think so. Then the follow-up was, do you think if he wins the remainder of his games this year, Dan Mullen will be back in 2022? Now I had to stop and think for a little while. Uh, my answer is yes, I do think Dan Mullen would be back. So I do not think a decision has been made down there. If they're going to get rid of him, as it turns out, I don't think that decision has been made yet. So because I believe that, I also believe if he does nothing more to you know, further remove his name from the equation, in other words, if they just keep winning, I think he would remain there. They've got Samford, uh, they got who, Missouri, and then they got Florida State. So, you know, that's a, what, a seven-win regular season. I was doing radio with Mark Ryan today. We were kind of going back and forth. Has Dan Mullen done enough? You know my opinion. I think it is time for a change there. He was on the other side. He's a Florida guy. And he said his opinion was Dan Mullen has done enough. And one of the things he threw at me that I disagreed with on air there, and I'll disagree with here, was the winning percentage, which I think is just above 700. And I remember when Lloyd Carr was on the way out at Michigan. And one of the folks defending Lloyd Carr at Michigan, I remember this as plain as day. It's, it's like 15 years ago. I remember this as plain as day. I was listening to some national talk radio and someone called in and said, how can you fire a guy who's winning 70% of his games? Uh, the way you fire him is because he's only winning 70% of his games at Michigan. And the way, theoretically, if you wanted to make a move on Dan Mullen that you would justify it, is he's only winning a little over 70% of his games at Florida. That's not good enough. I know 70% sounds good. It's not good enough to be only at 70% with all the advantages you have. If 30% of the sport had a resource advantage over you, then it would be great. You'd, you'd be par. You'd be even par winning 70%, but you don't. You're in the top 10 of the sport. You got to win more than 70% of your games if you're in the top 10%, at the very least, of the sport. So with that in mind, he could lose another game and then things could totally go off the rails. It is my belief that they passed the point of no return anyway. And to restate why I think that, it's not an emotion thing, although it has changed recently. It's because I'm looking at it and understanding what it would take for Dan Mullen to turn things around down there. And it would require some good recruiting classes already in the house to save them. And I don't necessarily know that those overly special classes have already been brought on campus. 
I definitely do not think any kind of recruiting momentum is building. In fact, it's going the opposite way. Staff overhaul is the main reason why I'm ready to move on. It's because of what is needed that I don't think he'll be able to get done. To be clear, what is needed is not only to fire some folks, you've got to bring in better replacements. And they've got to be not only on-field guys, they've got to be phenomenal recruiters. They've got to supplement what you, quite frankly, don't bring to the table. And I'm telling you as plain as I can tell you and trying to be respectful about it, people don't view this place as somewhere it's safe to go right now. The comparison I've been given uh, for a couple of weeks now was when Marcus Freeman, who is now the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame and was at Cincinnati last year, when he was on the market, there was a lot he liked about LSU, but he ended up at Notre Dame because enough people got in his ear and told him that coaching staff's got one more year max at LSU and they'll be gone. Uh, Whoever that was was right. And I'm telling you, they're saying the same thing about Dan Mullen right now. And because of that, the word around the assistant coaching water cooler is, I don't know that I want to go down there, especially the ones with options at the top of the food chain who by very nature of what you need are the ones that you're going to try and go get. Secondly, there is a thought out there. I cannot personally attest to this because I've never worked for Dan Mullen. But secondly, there is a thought out there that Dan Mullen's not the most fun guy in the world to coach for or to work with. That is not firsthand information. I've just heard that from some people inside that industry. Now, Nick Saban's not easy to work for either. What is the difference here? You know you've got championships in your future with Nick Saban. And at the very least, if you don't want to stay there for a decade, you know that you've got a next rung or two on the ladder that you're going to be able to climb because you worked with Nick Saban. Where has Dan Mullen indicated to you if you are a potential candidate that he can achieve that for you see where i mean and where i'm going with that so that's where florida is right now uh, i i also think that they've lost a majority of the fan base down there if that matters to you i think they've lost a majority of the fan base so those are the reasons why i think it probably is time for them to move on at tcu very quickly sonny dykes who we had on the show like a year and a half ago really really good guy uh, the talk out in texas was when tcu seemingly abruptly moved on from Gary Patterson. The closer you get to that situation out there, most people understood they made that move because they wanted to get ahead of Texas Tech because both of them were looking at Sonny Dykes and what he was doing at SMU and saying, if he can do that there, what could he do here? And so TCU moved and it looks like they're going to get Sonny Dykes. Nothing is finalized, at least when it comes to pen on paper, but it looks like that's where they're going to end up. So having said that, then obviously if that happens, that opens up SMU. It was reported last week, and I think this is dead on the money, that Sonny Dykes has an extension offer from SMU just sitting on his desk, and it hasn't been signed. I'm going to let you guess why that hasn't been done. But those are where some of those coaching searches are right now. Look, I wanted to do 10 minutes on the Akron job. They told me we don't have time. I said, don't we broadcast on the Internet? Don't we have unlimited time? And then they ripped the Akron notes up in front of me. Really disrespectful. Tell you what, you mess with the zips at your own peril. Let's move on to the Week 11 spotlight, where I will not break down an Akron game. Some games we didn't get to the other night that I wanted to get to tonight. Georgia is laying 20 at Tennessee. There's been a little buzz around the South this week, mainly because people have waited for Georgia to play an offense with a pulse. So they finally do that Saturday at Neyland Stadium. It is the 3.30 Eastern Time game of the week on CBS. I'm very interested to see how Georgia handles Tennessee's tempo in this because it's just not something that they face a lot. You know what it almost feels like? For Georgia, 
it almost feels like all these teams in the Big Ten, when they face Ohio State, you say, ooh, how are they going to deal with that passing game of Ohio State? Let's go look at how they've dealt with other good passing offenses this year. And then you look and you look and you look. Oh, there is no other passing offense up there like Ohio State. Well, when it comes to Georgia's schedule, they really haven't faced an offense that replicates or even comes close to doing what Tennessee does. That doesn't mean they won't be able to handle it. It just means we have no clue how they'll handle it. Very interested, so number one, to see how Georgia deals with that. Because it could be that Tennessee stings them early and Georgia's a little staggered, you know, the old cattle prod to the neck effect. But listen, there's a reason why that's risky and why every team in America doesn't do it. It could really snowball on Tennessee early too. It could be three and out, three and out, three and out. Georgia's all of a sudden got a, a 25 to seven plays run advantage at the end of one quarter. Oh, and by the way, this is where I want to remind you that Tennessee's defense was on the field 99 plays against Kentucky last week. So yeah, it's high risk, high reward, but there's no other way Tennessee knows how to play. I think though, quick passing, tempo-based, rhythmic, uh, that kind of stuff that you normally talk about with Tennessee, I think it's important with Georgia too. Because one of the edges, if you want to call it an edge, that Tennessee has is they've been really good at generating pressure. They've been really good at disrupting quarterbacks. And so I'm looking right now, and I'm looking at Stetson Bennett, and I'm looking at where Georgia can have the most success. And they, they lost Arian Smith, who I really thought was coming on for him. That's a very, very big blow for them. May not matter Saturday, but it's a big blow for him down the road. Absent just that home run grand slam deep threat, what they need to do early is they need to hit themselves about five or six quick slant passes, or they need to work out on the perimeter screen game, and they need to loosen that box up a little bit. Because I can tell you, I don't care what Stetson Bennett's done so far, Every defensive coordinator you face for the remainder of the season is going to make that guy prove that he can beat them with his arm before they adjust philosophically. And so I think that's what they have to do. And I think that's what Georgia and that offensive coaching staff specifically will do Saturday. So here's where I am on this game. I plugged it into the model. And the model, of course, likes Georgia to win. Uh, so it's not necessarily smelling an upset. But it is smelling a Tennessee cover. And so it's got Georgia by about 17. So I'm taking Georgia to win. I will take Tennessee to cover. This is a classic example of a game where even if the favorite were to win, a la Alabama over LSU last week. Yeah, Alabama won. But you looked at that and all kinds of alarm bells went off in your head. So I'm not saying it's going to be this drastic in this game. It's an example of a game where possibly you come out of it and you say, do you see the Georgia game? No, what happened? Well, they won, but man, Tennessee did this, 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 and this. Just keep that in the back of your mind down the road. It's that kind of game, possibly. Or Georgia could win like 42 to nothing, like they did the last time I was up there for that game. Michigan is now a one-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Penn State. So as I said, this is a noon Eastern time kickoff. I believe the network is ABC, yeah. Listen, our model loves Penn State. So am I mad a little bit that we could have waited later in the week and gotten points instead of taking it at a pick? No. Not really, because I think Penn State's going to win the game either way. I'm going to go in reverse order, obviously, where I give you the pick and then justify it. But the weather is not a question here. The weather is just going to be sketch F all afternoon. You're going to have wind. It's a low 40s. It's rain. It's disgusting. It's everything you would expect Michigan at Penn State in early to mid-November to be. So here's what Penn State has to bank on. Because a couple of things you probably know coming into this is Michigan's probably going to be able to run the ball okay. And Penn State's not, because that has been the identity of these respective teams all year. Penn State's won some games in spite of that. 
But what they need to do is at its very core, the same thing Michigan State knew they needed to do against Michigan. Remember when we were just sitting here, we were making up uh, metaphorical phrases for that Michigan State-Michigan game. And I said, it's kind of like Python versus popcorn dropper. Michigan will just choke you to death, whereas Michigan State's got to big play you to death. Well, Penn State, in theory, has to do the same thing. The difference is Penn State does not have a Heisman caliber running back like Kenneth Walker to find the end zone five times. What they do have is Sean Clifford. Now stop laughing because Sean Clifford has played his best football, at least statistically, over the last couple of games. They lost at Ohio State. I'm not blaming it on him. Uh, they beat Maryland last week, had another good game. Let's just assume he's getting a little bit more healthy. And they've all of a sudden realized up there, no, we're not going to have Dotson forever. Let's use him as much as we possibly can. Let's make sure we get him the ball. Jahan Dotson even had a great song come out. I'm not sure what record label it was on this week, but it came out. And so why not follow that up with about 11 catches for 179 yards and two scores, even through the wind and rain. I think Penn State's going to win this game, and obviously I think they're going to cover in the process. It's one of our best bets of the week, so they better. What about Miami at Florida State? Boy, I am longing for the day where we have reason to break this game down on our Feature Tuesday show instead of waiting for Thursday. Uh, Miami is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. This is a 3.30 Eastern time kickoff on ESPN. Miami survived what was a very underrated ambush spot last week. We were on Georgia Tech with plus the points uh, for reasons that we spelled out last week. Look, Miami had a shot to lose that game last week, but they didn't. Now, some of you trashed them because they only won by three or whatever the final score was. Uh, we were impressed by that because we just viewed the game differently. So now they go on the road, and now we're looking at one key factor to me in this game, and that is how well can Florida State run the ball. If they're running it early, I don't necessarily think there's an adjustment coming that stops it. And so Florida State's going to have a good afternoon, probably not going to run for 400 yards, but I think it would stand to reason They've got a good shot, and you'll know early on if they're getting stoned against the run versus five and a half or six yards per carry, big difference. And here's why it's a big difference on the Miami side. Tyler Van Dyke, the quarterback there, has played well. He's come in. He's played well. How much pressure is going to be on Tyler Van Dyke in this game? Because he's already played under pressure a couple of times. Uh, but the more you go on the road in this game and face some pressure and face some half two third downs, the more likely you are as a first-year starter to make some game-costing mistakes. Florida State's got to be able to run the ball to put up enough offense and therefore points on the board and control the game enough to where it is one possession either way, at least, to where Tyler Van Dyke has to beat you instead of, oh, Miami beat him. Van Dyke had an okay afternoon. They didn't really need him. That's what you can't have. Also, very curious about what kind of factor Doak Campbell Stadium is in this game. Not a night game, 3.30. Should be a good atmosphere. There's no reason for it not to be. We'll see. Uh, right now, Miami minus two and a half is one of our favorite bets of the week. So obviously we're taking Miami to win and we're taking Miami minus the points. Last game I wanted to touch on, because uh, I'm going a different way in this game than uh, what I can tell the majority of the public is, Purdue at Ohio State. Ohio State is minus 21. Right before we came on the air, I was looking at some books out there. There are even some 20 and a halfs out there. Saturday, 3.30 Eastern, ABC. My immediate feel on this game is Ohio State blowout because of a very, very bad dynamics spot. Normally, you know, it's a rubber band effect both ways in this game, and that spells bad news for P Purdue. Here's what I mean. Last week, you had 
Ohio State have to survive on the road at Nebraska. Uh, that is obviously an underachievement relative to point spread expectation. Now, typically, you have a progression regression to the mean. Well, that would rubber band Ohio State upwards. Purdue, meanwhile, pulls off the outright upset over Michigan State, and that was well above point spread expectations, which means you would figure they rubber band down and they pass each other in the process. And I know that's a big number. You're looking at Ohio State. Ooh, they almost lost last weekend. Ooh, Purdue, they already took down two top five teams. They don't even have to win. You're giving me 21 points. Just telling you what I love, because I'm going to take Ohio State to win and cover. And the reason I love the Buckeyes so much this week is because that offensive line, which make no mistake has the capability to play at the best level in the country on any given Saturday, has been trashed all week. And Caleb, well, I mean, not Caleb Williams. We'll talk about him a little bit later. C.J. Stroud has been trashed all week. I mean, there have been some really derogatory terms being thrown around Columbus, Ohio, and the surrounding area about his unwillingness, not inability, let me stress, unwillingness to grab an extra yard or two. And these folks are not wrong, by the way, when they're questioning, uh, I'm not going to say toughness. Well, they are. I'm not doing it, but some people are questioning toughness. And there have been some times like I said on the Sunday show, where I watch C.J. Stroud and I see an extra chunk of green and he doesn't take it. I'm not talking about, like I said, Calzada lowering his shoulder into a safety. I'm not talking about that. And he was asked about it this week. And he said, I'm not here to run the ball. I'm here to play quarterback. I'm here to throw the ball. Uh, yeah, so I'm not interested in that. Anyway, whatever he said, public notwithstanding, I think you'll get one of the best performances from C.J. Stroud in that receiving core of the season this Saturday. And I think Ohio State will win, and I think they'll cover. So those are some more games we're looking at. And of course, as usual, a game that we did not mention is probably going to end up being what we lead the show with on Sunday. Let's get out of here with the latest best bets on the Ramen Noodle Express. We're already 1-0 on the week. This time last week, we were already 2-0 on the week. So let's just go ahead and circle Central Michigan. Thank you very much, Chips. They covered the three. These are the games we're on. Quickly, I'll read the ones we've already handed out, and then I'll give you the two new ones. We've got Penn State right at a pick. We are on Texas Tech plus 10. We're on Miami minus 2.5. Central Florida plus 7.5. East Carolina plus 6. Those are the games we're already on. As of a couple hours ago, you already got these if you follow on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. We are adding Kentucky minus 21. Hold off if you are looking at 21.5 at your book. This is available this is available at Caesars. It's available at several other books. So either add your options so you can get 21, or if you're just using one option, wait for 21. We're taking Kentucky minus 21. And Air Force minus two and a half is widely available. They're at Colorado State. I want to stress before I recap again, we are not done. There are a couple of more minimum, couple of more lines that we're waiting to move that we think will move in the direction we want them to. So make sure you're following on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. Air Force minus 2.5, Kentucky minus 21, East Carolina plus 6, Central Florida plus 7.5, Miami minus 2.5, Texas Tech plus 10, Penn State pick, and thank you already to Central Michigan. And thank you guys for being tuned in. Been a great week. Numbers across the board are ridiculous. So thank you so much for that. I am headed out to Texas tomorrow. Look forward to seeing a lot of you in a place that's unfamiliar to us. We've never been to a game at Baylor, so I'm looking forward to that. Look, I'm not against sailgating. I'm not against getting out on a boat on that river before the game, because after we do our live hits, I got some downtime. 
So if you got some extra food and an extra seat on a boat out there, then uh, hit me up in the DMs because I will be happy to come meet you. I will come to you. You do not have to bring the boat to me. Uh, so for who's in here? Miranda's here. Jesse's here. Director Collins here. I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have yourselves a great start to your weekend and God bless.